No taxation without representation. 200 years of exploitation in the capital of this nation. No representation in the capital of this nation. 200 years of exploitation. Give the people their right to vote. Someone asked me, was it true? The voting rights of the district were long overdue. Was Sweet Honey in the Rock with Give the People the Right to Vote? Hello and welcome to Shadow Politics, an hour-long grassroots talk show with an attempt to shine a light on the issues that you care about. I'm your host, United States Senator Michael D. Brown, coming to you live from the District of Columbia. America's last colony. I'm joined by my co-host, Aurelia Duffels, and together we hope our show will start a dialogue with America about the issues that are important and affect the lives of all of us. We may not have a vote, but we certainly have a voice, and we're here to express it. And today, uh, in in addition to having my co-host back, uh, we also have Ambassador Tim Romer. We're so excited to have this man. I could go on. I don't even know what to call him because he was a congressman. He's got a Ph.D. and he was an ambassador. So I don't know if I should call him doctor, congressman, ambassador. He's got too many titles for one name, uh, for one man. But but he was congressman from uh, for 12 years from Indiana's third district. He uh, was ambassador to India one of the largest economies in the world. And he was a member of the 9-11 Commission and helped pass the commission's recommendations into law. And we're so proud to have him on the show today to talk about what we think is a really, really important issue, which is Democrats putting money into the campaigns of Trump candidates. Uh, Ambassador, thanks for being with us. Senator, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Uh, I salute you both for getting this topic uh, front and center and focusing on something that's ex- extremely important, not just for the Democratic Party to understand, but for our country to uh, uh, to learn more about it. Well, that's my first question to you. What about being an American? I mean, isn't there something bigger than our party? Isn't there something bigger uh, you know, d- this is so cynical. And, and for our listeners, just so you understand, the Democrats are putting millions of dollars into Republican and not only Republicans, but Trump election deniers trying to get them elected in the primaries because they think they'll be easier to beat in the, in, in the general election. But uh you know, aren't we losing our soul doing this, uh, Ambassador? Should we really be doing this kind of thing? My answer to you is um, an absolute no, that we should be telling the Democratic Governors Association and the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee and the Democratic Party to cease and desist uh, right away. Uh, this is dangerous. This is an existential threat to America. This is not good, not only for the Democratic Party's heart and soul and their reputation, but it is 
playing with fire. Here's what's going on. So the Democratic Campaign Committee decided to get involved. Let's pick one instance um, of many in the Michigan Republican primary between uh, Congressman uh, Peter Meyer and a gentleman by the name of John Gibbs. John Gibbs was challenging the Republican incumbent in the, in the primary. He was challenging the Republican incumbent because the Republican incumbent had voted to impeach Donald Trump. And this individual, John Gibbs, had worked in the Trump administration, and Trump heavily supported him and endorsed him. This candidate, John Gibbs, is an election denier, a liar, a spreader, a propagator of falsehoods about the 2020 election. And why is that so bad? It erodes the very trust in America as a country that we play fair, that we have transparent elections, that the winner wins and the loser congratulates the winner and fights another day. We have a system in democracy, a great republic, where people don't tell lies about the results in elections. So the Democrats weighed in for John Gibbs. They spent $425,000. Mr. Gibbs only raised $325,000 for his entire campaign. So you could argue the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee spent more than Mr. Gibbs even raised for his entire candidacy and helped him win a very close, razor-thin race over the Republican that had voted to impeach Donald Trump and help Donald Trump. The Democrats were on the side of Donald Trump and election deniers and liars about the 2020 election. We need to put country before party. We need to put America uh, as you know, front and center saying uh, we believe in fair and free elections and we'll fight on other issues. Um, uh, and we can talk about what those other issues could be. And before I let my co-host ask you a question, let me just add to what you said that uh, Peter Meyer was one of the few Republicans that voted to impeach Trump after the insurrection. So we not only he did they not only beat him, they beat a good Republican. Don't we need good Republicans? <laughs> well, you know, I come from a you know a background in Indiana. You know, I've always you know I was always raised by uh, parents and grandparents that told me. Uh, you know, when you if you're lucky enough uh, to get elected into politics, uh, you 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 put your constituents first. You represent them. Uh, you listen to what they want you to do. If a good idea comes from a Democrat, great. If it comes from a Republican, uh, listen to it. And if, if it's a good idea for your state, and your country, then you can you know work with Republicans to get it done. And uh you know, when I served in Congress, I worked across the aisle many, many times uh, to get legislation passed with um, President uh, Bush one, President Clinton, President Bush two. Uh, I served in President Obama's administration uh, and worked across the aisle with Democrats and Republicans on foreign policy issues. Uh, you know, I'm a fierce Democrat. I'm a proud Democrat. I always Me want too. the Democrats to win, but I'll I'll. I'll work with Republicans like a Peter Meyer that uh, 
has good ideas and wants to work across the aisle to govern America. Put country before party. Absolutely. Morelia? Yes, Ambassador. It's the way it used to be, isn't it? Um, oh, you got that right. Right. It was the good, healthy days of politics. And, and this, to me, sends a message. I have many things I would like to tease out of this whole, this morass of, of idiocy in my book. But um, the message this sends on the part of the Democrats, it, to me, it's just like the right wingers and it's hypocritical and that they're saying that they'd rather have a Democrat, number one, rather have a Democrat at the risk of having a right wing Republican. Um, and it shows where is the calculated risk here? They're willing to gamble. And it also shows to me this radicalization of the Democrats, too, in that they can't even entertain having a moderate Republican in office. So they would rather throw the dice and say, you know, throw all this money at this crazy Trump supporting candidate instead of saying, let's just see what happens. We we would love to have a moderate Republican. If the Democrat doesn't win, then we'll have a moderate Republican in office. And what is wrong with that? I I don't get that. It just sends the wrong message about the Democrats. And it shows to me, it shows exactly that, that they're not even willing to work with the, with the, a moderate Republican, like you said, you know, which is the well, you make a great you make a great point there. Uh, I would respond uh, with with a couple points. One and I underscore this with an exclamation point. And, and uh, w- with, uh, you know, if I could have some music in the background and, and <laughs> some cheering after I said it, I would do that too. Here is what's at a time when the voters' trust in democracy continues to erode. Here we have Democrats. They should not be supporting short-term tactics that shower gasoline on the arson set by Donald Trump. Trump set the fire up in trying to say he won the 2020 election. He told a lie. He tried a coup. He uh, continued to try to get people to violently attack our U.S. Capitol. That kind of action against America should never be tolerated. And... The Democrats should not be supporting that kind of candidate like Mr. Gibbs in a Republican primary, saddling up with Donald Trump on the same side. Second point I'd make is that, you know, the the, the Democrats will tell me, I I helped to spearhead a letter where 35 former Democratic uh, senators and members of Congress joined with me to say to the DCCC and the Governor's Association, don't do this. We had, uh, you know, former leader Gephardt on. We had former Senator Gary Hart and presidential candidate. We had uh, former uh, U.S. Senator Tim Worth from Colorado. We had uh, former U.S. Senator Carol Mosley Braun from Illinois. Just a great group of people saying, no, uh, you cannot do this. One of the reasons, one of the things we hear back from the Democratic Party is they say, well, this candidate, Mr. Gibbs, in this instance, is the weaker candidate and he's going to lose in the general election. Well, we all know in looking back in our history, when we read our history, there are parts of our history that we're not too proud of. 
And when people like a David Duke, a bigot, a racist who runs for the U.S. Mm-hmm. Congress, who runs for president, he lost. But the repugnant residue from his hatred and his vile and his ugliness toward, uh, you know, toward black people in America, toward racism, mm-hmm. that lives with us today. We're still trying to clean the stain of that ugliness out. So mm-hmm. don't tell me that that you know that that propping up a losing candidate is a winning proposition later on. Even when they lose eventually, if in fact they do, they do a lot of damage to our system. Well, let let me first, before I, I, I ask you a question, point out that I live in Washington, DC, and not one person, not one Democrat, not one political pundit in Washington, D.C. thought that Donald Trump could get elected. So maybe we're really not that good at projecting who's going to win and who's going to lose. That's number one. But but the question I really want to ask you, building on what Marilia said, you were ambassador to India. I was uh, I was honored to to be able to be a keynote speaker at a thing in Hyderabad, India, at a, at a conference in Hyderabad, India. They have a guy uh, who runs their country named Modi, not a very nice man. Uh, and they looked to me, I, I couldn't believe how many people looked to me for inspiration at that conference because I was an American and because they believe America is a great democracy. What does this do to our image in the world? Well, it hurts it, no doubt about it. It it stains it, no doubt about it. It props up a Republican who is lying about our democracy, who is undercutting trust in our election system, and who can, for the next four months, he has oxygen to breathe on the campaign trail. He can go now as the elected Republican from that district in Michigan and raise money nationally with Donald Trump and say, look at what I'm doing in Michigan. Look at the message I'm telling. I got elected in Michigan. Let's keep this lie going about uh, how uh, uh, Joe Biden did not win the 2020 election. And that kind of, you know, propping up and supporting and allowing that kind of candidate the visibility, the amplification of that ugly message that harms America here and around the world uh, is something the Democratic Party should have no part in whatsoever. I'll tell you a quick story about my time in India when when uh, my wife and my kids and when I served uh, our country in India as the U.S. ambassador uh, President Obama and Michelle Obama, the first lady, uh, the distinguished first lady came over to see us. And we were going to an event and in, in, in the car with them and, you know, talking about politics and life and their two daughters and my four kids and, uh, you know, having, having a great conversation together. And, uh, the president, as always, is, is such a thoughtful, uh, intelligent person. And he says to me, Tim, uh, Tell me one story that conveys what India is like and the challenges here. And I said, Mr. President, great question. 
let me tell you, I just attended an event uh, in Delhi where they celebrate uh, Mahatma Gandhi's life, who brought, you know, independence to the country. And they have every major religion come in and say a prayer at this event that starts at 7 a.m. in the morning, where the eternal flame uh, burns for for, uh, Gandhiji, as they call him. And I said, you know, it's a very moving event. Uh, It would be probably four or five major religions show up in America. It'd be over in about 25 minutes or a half an hour. In India, about 20 major religions show up, Hindus and Christians and Muslim and Jew and Buddhist and Jain, and and the list goes on and on and on. And the the ceremony takes a, a few hours. And I said, nowhere on earth do we have that kind of diversity and openness and everybody coming forward to practice their religion freely and openly. I said, Mr. President, it gets better. Then they go back to their homes, and they have elections. And these people are elected to national office, to local you know, councils, to state uh, parliament, and they work together. And they, they, they make democracy work here. What a shining beacon of hope to the whole world that this kind of diversity is represented in a functioning democracy for the world to see. And, uh, you know, that, that's the story of democracy. We have that kind of diversity in America. Uh, and, and for a party like ours, the Democratic Party, with the rich tradition, the great history that we have, uh, to be, you know, going into a Republican primary at all cost, uh, cynically playing this kind of Machiavellian politics to try to promote a weaker candidate, so-called, and allow them to continue to tell lies, uh, propagate the you know falsehoods about the 2020 election. We need to stop it right away. And what, you know, what do we talk about? You know, uh, well, look at the Democratic Congress. Look at all the victories we're seeing. We're seeing a Democratic Congress pass infrastructure that will invest in roads and bridges and jobs and will not only compete with China, uh, we will out-compete China with the best roads and efficient uh, production system and delivery system in the world. We've passed for the first time in 20 years Democratic Congress, uh, an anti-gun violence bill that will help protect our children. We've uh, passed a bill on on manufacturing chips uh, that go with everything now, toasters and washing machines, fighter jets and computers. And uh, the United States is not making enough of these anymore. China's making 42 percent of the new development and microchips in the world. Uh, The U.S. is at 6 percent. We need to be doing that at home. We've done that. We're going to pass that bill and that's going to get through. So it's not to say Democrats don't have great things to talk about and win on the campaign trail. We, we've got a great message. Let's, let's sell our success. Well, let me quote you uh, from an article. Uh, I, I don't remember whether this was political, political or the New York Times, but you said, we will differ on policy and advocate contrasting ideas, but we should never engage in elected 
election tactics that elevate and support election deniers and candidates who propagate lies about the 2020 election. The DCCC should never be working on Trump's side and Republican primaries to bolster and promote a candidate who undermines our Constitution and democratic system. And I just want want you to know that I read when I read that I said, "Duh! Why does he even have to say that? Don't don't we already know that?" I'm sorry, Marilia. Go ahead. That's okay. Um, a lot of these things um, touch on the questions that I had, and and one of them, in fact, was why are the Democrats focusing on this? Um, why are they never really focus on the message? Why are they so bad at packaging a message? And why are they so bad at packaging a strategy and then the message? And the other thing I was going to ask is, if Governor Hogan, Governor uh, Hogan of Maryland, who is a Republican, a man who gets things done in spite of his vow answer, if he had been the head of the Democratic Governors, of the Republican Governors Association, um, at this, uh, no, sorry about that. If he had been the head, he would have never allowed this to happen. Not that Cox is a Republican, but I. I so who was the adult in the room? I was just using Hogan as an example because he he's fantastic and he's done a lot of good things for Maryland. Um, and I. So two questions. One, where is the adult who said, no, this is not a good idea. We're not going to do this. And why did Cox and his gang have so much power to get this thing off the ground? Um, and like I said, why don't they focus their energies on coming up with the strategy, policy strategy for the future of demo- the Democrats, what the Democrats are going to do in power and, and the message? So your messaging question is just a great uh, podcast show. You know that you you would w- the three of us could probably talk about that uh, for for three three more shows. Uh, we'll do it. Republicans, <laughs> yes, <laughs> because I think the Biden administration, who has had so many successes, you know, let's talk about your your question for a second. You know, we we were sitting around our dinner table a couple of weeks ago, and we had a bunch of friends over. Uh, they're all they, they were Democrats and independents and, and 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 some Republicans, and everybody was you know dogging on Joe Biden and uh, saying you know why is he only in thirty six percent approval? And yeah. look, Joe Biden beat Donald Trump in twenty twenty by seven million votes. And by, you know, 60 or 70 votes in the Electoral College, the fact that he took Donald Trump off of the national stage is a major accomplishment for our country. Just that, if he had done Mm -hmm. nothing else, just doing that is a magnificent accomplishment. Then he passes a $2 trillion bill to help our economy and our middle class and our struggling small businesses and our moms and dads and, and uh, uh, other folks out of jobs when the COVID crisis hit and the, 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 the economy was falling off a cliff with an anchor around it. And that helped put money in people's pockets to survive uh, a lost job, to go back and, get retraining. They lost a restaurant job and now they can, uh, you know, do a new job. Uh, let's say they're teaching or let's say they're a nurse or let's say they're driving a truck. Um, they got a new job and they survived that. 
Then the Biden administration, as we just talked about, I just mentioned, passes, you know, historic uh, legislation to try to do more to keep guns out of bad people's hands and protect our children from massacres at schools Mm -hmm. and in our cities and, you know, chip manufacturing and supporting that. We've got a lot of things to talk about, to tell the American people Here's what we're doing for you, the American dream. Here's what we're doing to strengthen the middle class. Here's the the lowest unemployment rate at 3.5% in decades and decades. And, yeah, inflation is bad. Yeah, gas prices are too high. Uh, We're going to see more done to address that. And I think the Democratic Senate is going to pass a bill today to address some of the inflationary aspects of, of that and climate change and deficit reduction. Another possible historic bill going through an energetic and effective Congress. Mm-hmm. Those are the kind of pocketbook issues, to your very question, that people will get out and vote on. Uh, so, you know, we, we don't have to sink down into the mud to play the kind of ugly politics of trying to determine who is going to win a Republican primary and somehow, you know, turn our eyes, blindfold ourselves and say, okay, we're, the party is going to help this election denier liar for four months so that somehow we have a better chance to maybe win in the general election. Mm-hmm. That, that is, that is cynical politics and is very, very worst, and the Democratic Party can do so much better. The New York Times had a great uh, editorial uh, on their, their page on Thursday, August 4th, and they said, quote, a cynical low for the Democratic Party, unquote. Yeah. Absolutely. And I'm going to make a, a public service announcement here. I was a fundraiser for many years and for though for the Democratic Party and for those of you that don't know what the DCCC does, they basically and the Governors Association, they raise money for Democratic candidates and you can ask for your money back. There's a federal law. So I encourage you, if you made a contribution to the DCCC on the grounds that they were going to use that to support Democrats. And now you know they're supporting Republicans, write to them. 430 South Capitol Street, Washington, Southeast, Washington, D.C., 20003, and ask for your money back. That's the way we can stop them, I think, is if we all say, look, you know, we gave you the money under the guise that you were going to use it to help Democrats, and now you're helping Republicans, and, and, and that's wrong. But let Senator, me ask- that's, that, that's an intriguing idea. And if you had, I would guess that if you had four or five big Democratic donors uh, yeah. write and call the DCCC yeah. and write and call the Democratic Governors Association, yeah. they'd stop this right away. Or if you had a couple members of Congress say yeah. uh, to the head of the DCCC, who is uh, Congressman uh, Sean Patrick Maloney from New York, and they said to him, Congressman, I'm not paying my DCCC dues anymore right. until you guys stop this practice. Uh, that would stop this as well, too. So, it, you know, we're on the verge. We're getting a lot of attention thanks to 
thanks to your show and your interest in this and your amplification of how we Democrats feel about this. We proud Democrats. And and, and circling back to a, a point you made a little bit earlier, the fact that we don't want this done doesn't mean that we Democrats uh, believe in laying down and not fighting in issue, you know, in, in, in elections. I mean, I, right. I fiercely fought in six elections. I took the Democratic seat for the from a Republican incumbent of ten years. I fought for that seat when Republicans would come into my district. The president would come in and campaign against me. The vice president would come in and campaign against me. Their cabinets, the Bush cabinet, would come in and campaign against me. I have battled, you know, the the Republican Party on ideas and on policy and on differences, and I will back down from nobody in election battles. But we do it, we don't do it, you know, in the mud. We don't do it threatening existentially the, the, the trust in our democracy. We don't do it on the side of Donald Trump, who has come close to you know, eroding uh, that precious trust in our system. Hello, does anybody remember Michelle Obama? When they go low, we go high. What 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 happened to that? But let me let, let me just say, where is the moral outrage in Congress? And you know, we're always talking about these pusillanimous Republicans that 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 wouldn't stand up to Trump, but. You have on that letter that you, you encouraged and you had people sign people like Mary Landrew, Senator Mary Landrew from Louisiana, who has been on our show. And you already uh, leader Dip Gephardt, presidential candidate Gary Hart, all these. They're all retired. Where it, where are the people that are active Democrats right now in elected office? Why aren't they coming out and, and saying something? I hope they will. Senator, I hope they will. And I'm calling some of them on the phone, uh, trying to urge them to uh, speak to uh, the DCCC and speak to the Democratic Governors Association. Uh, I will try to uh, send a letter to our leadership in Congress, uh, to Speaker Pelosi's office and to other leaders that have say on what the DCCC does and what their practices are and where they focus their money. But, uh, uh, you know, you're seeing more and more people speak out ab- about this. They, they recognize the importance of uh, that the Democratic Party can both intellectually be true to its great history, that we can stand on moral ground, that we don't have to succumb to some of the Republican tactics and politics that people like Karl Rove or... Steve Bannon have done to tear down our our our, our political system. Uh, we we are a proud and uh, true party. Uh, I hope on principles and morality and inspiration. Yeah, we we go back through so many of our candidates um, that that have you know been reasons like Bobby Kennedy and others that inspired me as a young kid to get involved in politics. And, uh, you know, they did it by by being on the moral high ground, by talking about civil rights, by talking about what we can do united as a country and, you know, practicing the principles in the Federalist Papers and in our Constitution. 
what can we do to make the country a better, pla- a better place for all people, uh, strengthen that American dream, make sure our middle class has opportunities for education and uh, good jobs and climbing the ladder of success? Uh, what do we do to increase our diversity in our country that is such a strength for who we are and what we stand for? Uh, that you know, Those are the kind of things that get people fired up and get people, young people involved and get new people running for office. It's not this kind of ploy and tactic and subterfuge like getting involved in a Republican primary and sneaking money in there to support somebody who we hold our nose at and who, you know, we're disgusted by the lies they tell. Uh, And then finally, you know, we, we saw, Senator, uh, that, that the election, particularly in Arizona, where a number of Republicans endorsed by uh, Donald Trump won their, their, their Republican primary, Mark Fincham, the Secretary of State, he's an election denier in Arizona. He, he is out there propagating lies about uh, the 2020 election. How is it that we can run as Democrats against these people that pose threats to a fair election in Arizona if we're, in fact, supporting people like John Gibbs in Michigan that are the same kind of election denier and liar. Well, send me a call list, and I'll pass it on to Marilia, who's the most charming person I know, (laughs) and we'll get some of those guys on board. Marilia, we're going to put you to work. More than happy to do it. I don't know if you know this, but I am a former Republican. I worked for for, uh, Reagan and then the Bush one administration. But when Trump won, that was it. I tore up my card pretty much the same day that um, uh, what's his name? George Will did. Yeah. Well, and and, and I I have uh, a lot of acquaintances and friends that. you know, either did the same thing or they said, uh, you know, Democrats, inspire yeah. us. Give us a reason to hey. come over to you guys. And I'll tell you what, it's not doing this in Michigan. It's not doing what the Governor's Association is doing in Maryland and Colorado and other places to, to prop up uh, election and iron liars it that's not the kind of thing that is going to get good people like you morelia to to you know say boy i'm proud of the democrats what a great party i'm going to go out and work for them and i was even going to ask if if you have any sense of whether or not this is turning off the democrat democratic voter not somebody like me even the democratic voter i imagine would be turned off and i think also um, the sad thing about this is, as you know, the president of Brazil, who is basically Trump of uh, the tropical Trump, and he imitates everything Trump does. I wouldn't be surprised if this kind of thing is hasn't already begun in Brazil, because everything Trump does, he imitates. Yeah, and, and that's an interesting kind of worldview there. We've seen this Trumpian politics, and it even started in other parts of the world before Trump in 2016. Uh, we've seen this populism, uh, nationalism, uh, you know, this, this almost this playing on the fear of people. What can go mm-hmm. wrong? And it's going wrong, and Trump would amplify that. But we've seen 
you know, China move farther and farther toward an autocratic system. We've seen Hungary do it. We've seen uh, Brazil, as you mentioned, do it. We've seen the Philippines uh, up until their last election. We'll see uh, Marcus, their new leader, whether or not he plays into what Durarte did. but we, we, you know, it's a it's a world phenomenon, and it's something that you know the world's looking at the United States as a as this beacon of a 246 year old country of diversity and freedom and unity and independence and innovation and new ideas. Uh, what are they doing? How 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 is America going to help us? Through this worldwide decline in democracy and this this battle with autocracies, and listen, you know what the Democratic Party is, you know, doing in Michigan and other states. That is not going to be a, a good thing. It's going to be, you know, something that they look at and say, "Geez, that's you know, that's that, that's that's a decline in democracy. That's not that's not the kind of thing we want to practice." Thank God. Absolutely right. And thank God for the January 6th committee, because, for example, in Brazil, even if they were to come up with the January 6th committee, because Bolsonaro is planning on doing the same thing Trump did, which is basically attacking the electoral system, saying that, you know, they're they're fraud. But they don't have a chance of having a, quote unquote, January 6th committee. And even if they did, there'd be corruption in that, too. So at least we have that, and thank God for that. It doesn't affect what the, the issue at hand that we're talking about now, but but um, oh, it I is. think it does. I think it's a great ancillary point and, and segues mm-hmm. into democracy itself. Um, as you mentioned, uh, I, I served on the nine eleven commission, and we came up with a series of bipartisan recommendations to make our country safer. Uh, it was not a tank that attacked us. It was not another country that attacked us on 9-11. It was not uh, an Air Force. It was 19 individuals with box cutters using hijacked airplanes as highly destructive missiles into buildings to, to kill innocent people, women, children, people from all over the world. Almost 3,000 people died. So our job on the 9-11 Commission was find out where we failed and move the United States and their government, our government, toward a new threat. How do we change organizations and bureaucracy so that it can act more quickly to a threat that is super dynamic and quick and, and can get into our country and potentially kill hundreds and thousands of people? So we made 41 recommendations, and we passed 40 of them into law. We never had another 9-11 type of attack. We had the support of the 9-11 families. We couldn't have done anything without those 9-11 families and their moral support and suasion, their help to persuade the Congress and the White House to pass these bills into law. The select committee that comes along, I had, I had initially supported uh, another independent um, type of 9-11 commission uh, to look at January 6th, not have sitting members do it, but independent Democrats and Republicans that are no longer in office that can look at this uh, uh, over a time and 
make recommendations for our country to see what happened on January 6th and strengthen our democracy, strengthen our capital without, you know, fortifying it as a as a, you know, as a fortress and preventing people from getting in to watch their government work. How do we how do we do this? I think the select committee on January 6th has done a magnificent job. They not tried to do too much. They have appealed and told the story to the American people about a lie that Donald Trump told, a plot he hatched, a coup he tried, and mm-hmm. the violence that resulted, um, as well as police officers being killed on the line of duty, as a result of this attack on our Constitution and our country. And they haven't tried to do too much. They haven't tried to do too little. And what I hope they attain and achieve is basically two or three things. One would be, let's make our democracy stronger. Two, let's make our capital safer, but don't make it just guards and guns and gates and inaccessible to the American public. And three, tell the story so that Republicans and independents and Democrats know what Donald Trump did, and he is never able to run for office again. That Republicans and independents and Democrats know enough about that story on January 6th and leading up to it that they will never vote for him again for any kind of national high office. Amen. Amen. You know, um, Ambassador, when I kind of think of big issues like this, I try to put them on a personal level. Uh, It's easier for me to understand them, I think. And I know that you come from a family of educators, and so do I. So even if we're successful at this as Democrats, even if the strategy works, what do we teach our children? Do we teach them? What what do we say if I'm a high school civics teacher? In 2022, the Democrats found a way to cheat and win in the primary elections? I mean, this is really, this is, uh, you know, in the Bible, Mark says, what do you gain to win the whole world but lose your soul? And that's the way I was raised, you know, that you have to have a bottom line. You know, I went to work. My first political, real political job was working for Jimmy Carter. Was not a great president, but was a great man. Shouldn't you have to be a great man, a great woman, a great person to represent people? Shouldn't, shouldn't that be a, like a basic requirement? I, I think back to your original point, it reminds me of, you know, when I decided to run for office, I wanted to run since I was in fifth grade and worked mm-hmm. as an intern for my local congressman and worked my way through school and you know, worked odd jobs at the zoo, at a golf course, you know, trimming fences and putting greens and paying my way through school. And my parents and grandparents, who I, I was raised in a Catholic family, and they would always say, you know, do a profession you can be proud of that has nobility in it and helps the world be a better place. Uh, they, they always encouraged me to go into religion or the priesthood or something, and I was I, I was not going to go do that, uh, but I did want to make the world a better place. And politics was the noble way to do it because I saw good, 
great people get involved and inspire us and stay on high moral ground and show us by leadership and by example that you make sacrifices, you can battle the other party hard and fiercely on ideas, and you can inspire people to vote for you, you can inspire people to work for you, you can inspire people to believe in America, and uh, that's part of what the beauty and the magic of America is about. Uh, And, you know, they said, look, go run, but don't ever do it for yourself. Do it for the better cause. Uh, You know, politics is not about you. It's not about seeing your name out there. It's about making your community a better place and uh, doing it with honor and respect. And those are the kind of value-oriented words that are just so important today to be able to use that, you know, where I come from in the Midwest, those, those words are powerful words uh, to people and, you know, honor, country, respect, values, um, how, how, how you do things when nobody's looking and nobody may even notice. Those are kind of the honorable uh, traits of character in the Midwest. Um, So, you know, let let's let's fiercely compete with the Republicans. I don't want to lose a single seat in Congress. I want to keep the majority. I want to continue to do the great work that this effective and successful and highly energetic Congress has done in the Senate and the House the last year and a half. They're going to do even more. Uh, I'm not going to lay down and say, okay, let's lose one seat. Let's go into the minority on principle. We can do both. We can be an inspiring and motivating party with great ideas and sell our success and recruit people to our party, uh, Republicans and independents, and, and build the, the, the success of the party uh, and, and do it on ideas and, and principle. Don't, don't, you don't have to you know, get into how ugly these Republican primary elections can be and the kind of things that we did uh, as a party in this Gibbs-Meyer race. Uh, Let's cease and desist that. Let's get back to the strength of our party and to winning elections. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. It's the same reason I got into politics. I was an orphan uh, who got lots of support in my community and I wanted to give back. And, that, and that's yeah. exactly it. I also come from a, a Catholic family uh, ambassador. And the greatest thing it could have been in my family was a priest that played yeah. the violin. And, and I was they were Italian. So you, if you were a priest that played the violin and sang opera on the side, that <laughs> you would have been golden in my family. Uh, <laughs> but let me ask you, before I let Marilia ask you another brilliant question, let me just ask you about the Reformers Caucus that you're a member of, uh, a dear local politician, Connie Morella, is, is involved with you. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure Marilia knows her. I, uh, I, I certainly knew her. She's a Republican that was loved. She was yeah. loved. And she was actually voted out of office by in, in a pretty cynical election herself. But, uh, but she's a wonderful person. Tell us about the Reformers Caucus. 
So the Reformers Caucus is uh, a group of about 200, 201, 202 uh, former members of Congress. I'm the co-chair of the group. Uh, my other co-chair is former congressman from Tennessee, Zach Womp. And we recruited uh, these 200 people. We called them personally. We sent them messages. Uh, we said, we want to get a group of member, former members together to do one thing. We're not going to come to you to talk about guns. We're not going to talk to you about the deficit. We're not going to talk to you about uh, strengthening national defense. We're not going to talk to you about gay marriage. Uh, even though all those issues are important, we want unity on these 200, 201 people to strengthen our democracy and to stand up to autocrats that are existential threats to our system. And so these people said, including Connie Morella, uh, former Republican Senate leader Trent Lott, uh, former CIA director in the Bush administration, Porter Goss, uh, you know, the Republican list goes on and on and on. It's about 45 percent Republicans, 50 percent Democrats. And we all came together and said, what can we do to go up to Capitol Hill to talk to senators and congressmen and women and their staffs and tell them how important it is to have some unity across the aisle on things like reforming the 1887 Electoral Count Act to make sure January 6th never happens again. And the role of the vice president is very clear what they can and cannot do and what governors and states can and cannot do with their electoral states, their electoral slates. So we, we do this. We, we, we try to write letters. We try to have meetings. We try to, you know, pick up on issues that are about our republic and our democracy and ways that we can work in bipartisan manner to make sure that this great 246-year-old system continues to live on not only in our country but inspire others as a beacon of hope and promise around the world and we've we've been pretty successful um we've done a lot of good things some days it's like uh an albert camus uh you know myth of sisyphus where you're you know pushing the boulder up the mountain and it rolls back down on you and you get back up the next day and you try to push it back up the mountain a little bit more and uh you know, some days it's frustrating that Congress does not want to do certain things. But, uh, you know, it's all about an effort for America, for strengthening our democracy and doing it in a bipartisan way. Well, I think that's great. And we're running out of time here, Morelia. So do you have something you want, anything else you want to ask the ambassador before we let him go? So I just want to say it doesn't seem like this is it's too late to stop this. Um, based upon your amazing efforts with your group. Um, and then M Mike's brilliant idea should be put on social media. But is there anything else do you think we should do to keep our country, not that shining city on a hill, but the shining country on a hill that, like Mike mentioned, so many um, countries look to for, for law and order and example. So if you could um, comment on that, please, that would be great. And, and thank you so much for your time. And do send me that list, please. Great question again. 
I think there are a couple things that people can do, and I'm always a big believer in, you know, action. Yeah, what do we do? How do we check the boxes of, of trying to execute and implement a strategy to achieve our, you know, stated objective? So the stated objective is to say to the Democratic Governors Association, which is putting money into campaigns across the country, they've put money into Colorado and Maryland and Illinois and a couple other states where they have supported mm-hmm. and promoted uh, election deniers and liars and sided with Trump. The DCCC has, the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee has done this. So to um, contact uh, Democratic Governor uh, who runs the DGA and the congressman who runs the DCCC, uh, you know, Congressman Sean Patrick Maloney, and, and tell them, we don't want the Democratic Party doing this. We don't want our money doing this. We don't want our reputation uh, stained and harmed by doing this. Uh, cease and desist. You can call your member of Congress, uh, your senator, your congressperson, and ask them to weigh in. Uh, to the leadership, uh, Speaker Pelosi, Mr. Hoyer, Mr. Clyburn, uh, that leadership can say to Mr. Maloney, don't do this anymore. This is not a practice that we can continue to do. So, you know, we got to just believe that our voices can matter, that, that we can make, we are in our system, we are the system. It is not a senator and congressman. As we all know, it's a representative democracy. That senator and congressman, that president, they represent us. It's our voice. It's our idea. It's what we want that should take place through that representative. And if they don't do what we want them to do, then, uh, you know, we, we, we can, we can try to get somebody to you know, vote against them. We can vote against them. We can get somebody to run against them. Uh, you know, th- there are activities and actions that we can take later on down the road there, too. But let's keep our eye on the prize, as my friend Congressman John Lewis used to say. Let's cause a little good trouble uh, and, and tell the party uh, with conscience and principle that uh, they can't do this anymore at the governor level or the congressional level. Clean up our act. Get back to selling our success. We've got a great message to tell by our active Congress and effective Congress doing good things for the American people. Let's fiercely compete with Republicans. Let's never give up on a single race, but let's not do it in the gutter. Let's not do it on Donald Trump's side. Well, well, that's the perfect place to end. And Ambassador Tim Romer, thanks so much for being with us. Uh, you've restored my faith that there are good Democrats out there fighting to uh, keep America keep America great. And I want to thank you and my co-host Marilia, and we'll see you next week, folks. We always dedicate a song to our our guests at the end of the show. So here's one from from an old hippie, Mike Brown. Uh, here's one from <laughs> Buffalo, Buffalo Springfield. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Ambassador Romer. Thank you, Marilio. Thank you, Michael. I appreciate it. I enjoyed it. The time flew by. Keep up your great work. All right. And you thank too. You, thank you so much. Yes. Bye-bye.